Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Woods Four Quarters, a Harlequins podcast. My name's Will and I'm sat here as always with my cousin Michael after an enthralling contest at the Cardiff Arm Park this weekend. Mike, how are you? Settled down yet? Yeah, all right, mate. It's been um, a bit of a busy week back at work. Um, obviously recovering. Well, not really recovering. I don't really get any symptoms or anything, but a little bout of COVID. So a bit of time indoors, back at work, hectic at school, all the sort of classic January stuff. Um, and then, yeah, it was quite nice actually having it on a Friday night. Obviously frustrating that there wasn't a possibility of getting anyone there, any fans yeah. in. So you missed out on all that kind of stuff. But it was quite nice actually just getting home and sitting on the sofa and sort of watching it and keeping up to date with everything. I am so gutted we couldn't get down there, <laughs> no, especially no. after what we got. I'm actually devastated. Um, similar to you, although I did have symptoms of COVID, so I was I was off, for, not off, but out of action for a week. Back out in the world on on Wednesday, which was nice to get back in the the gym and see some human beings and and uh, even just go to the shop. But I was really looking <laughs> forward to a potential Friday night away in Cardiff. And yeah. if I'd just come out of isolation and had two days to get into that, that would have been the perfect get out. Um, and what we got as well was just end-to-end gripping stuff. So anyway, we won't dwell on on what wasn't to be. We can talk about what what did unfold and it was, it was pretty special. But before we get to the depths of digesting that contest, let's talk about some news from the week, as we always do, a little recap of, of what's gone on. Plenty of it as well. Plenty of it. You're absolutely right. Plenty of it. Um, we'll start off with the positives. Yeah. Two contract renewals, two men that we're massive fans of, and two men that make a statement of intent by putting pen to paper for this club. I look at our team sheet and I look at who's here for the long term and how old they are and how good they are. And it just excites me hugely. So let's start with the first one. England's number eight, Alex Dombram. Thoughts on that one? It's so good. Like... <laughs> I know that when, um, you know, when he signed the last contract, I think a couple of years ago almost now, I know that clubs were in for him. You know, we know that, mm. you know, we know that Northampton came in for him big time and the club really, really sort of backed the fact that he was going to go places. And this is before he got international honours, before we'd been on a big premiership run. They'd obviously looked at, at Domers and gone, right, this is going to be the next crop of England talent that's going to take us forward. You know, you look at back to the glory days of 2012, 2011, that sort of era. We've got that again now. The Rob Shaws, the Evans, mm. the Dannys, the Marlers. I know obviously a couple of them are still there, but he's that next really big, big, big sort of name in our squad. People look at the club now and they think, you know, Marcus Smith, Alex Dombrand, those two are right up there now. They're now the big sort of custodians of what we're about. And so oh, having, him on, having him on long-term is so, so good. And I think, you know, he's he's going to be, what I hope, a one-club man, mm. long-term contracts, international honours. Hopefully, he's going to spend the next 10 years of his career with us when we're right at the top of where we want to be, top four every year, playoffs, European stuff. He's he's as important to us as anybody else in the squad. Oh, he's a Harlequins me. boy. He's a Harlequins fan. He's come out of uni. He's gone back to the club that he supported and having battered off a number of you know, requests and transfer offers and anything like that. The club initially put some faith in him for a contract and now I've gone big on him and say, look, you're our man. You are going to be our man and he's going to be a future club captain. Oh, without a doubt, mate. Without a doubt. That's the first thing we tweeted in response to his tweet, future club captain, for sure. He's already captaining the club most weeks at the moment and you can tell his leadership credentials have just grown week in, week out. Do you remember uh, one of our first ever episodes, actually, probably... 
about 10 months ago now we picked our our best Quinn's 15 must have been in the first month of doing the podcast yeah. and I actually had him down as captain because I'd seen quite yeah, a bit you did, yeah. Um, I have no doubt he'll be a future club captain what I absolutely loved about a, the signing announcement video was brilliant. That illustration of him scoring that try in the final really good. against Exeter. Really like that. Um, but what I loved about it most is what he had to say. And you referenced it a little bit there. It's it's his childhood club. He grew up supporting Quinns. It's the only club he's ever wanted to play for. He's here now. He's just won the premiership. He's playing with some unbelievable boys around him. His mates, some international colleagues, some other young superstars in, in Marcus, etc. Tyrone Green, still only 23. I can't believe that. So he's surrounded by some absolute superstars, and my god, he's good, isn't he? He's the so nostalgia good. of uh, the nostalgia of that clip they put that sort of cartoon animation of him going under the sticks at Twickenham, mm. and it's one of my favourite videos. And obviously, I've got that video there, from in the crowd that you had your angle as he cuts the line and dots it down. It's, oh, it's spitting image. It's so good. You, you, um, we had a chat about this a while ago, and I sometimes get. You know, it's a really sort of typical millennial thing to say that people whipping their phones out all the time. Mm. But you having that angle mm. on camera of that moment is so so good. And it all that is. I mean, obviously you were sat next to me or stood next to me at that point because we're up on our feet. But I remember that. I remember that image so clearly. Yeah, the, the little inside ball running on the sticks, then a the big sort of bean size in the south. And with the I watch it all, all the time, mate. I watch little clips oh, like so that from good. the day, and it always brings a smile to my face. So I get the whole millennial thing, put your phone away. But I was watching the game, just had my phone open anyway. So it's not like I missed anything. But yeah, those those are special memories. And to put to reference that in his announcement clip was great. To hear everything he had to say was great. And then speaking of announcement clips and videos, Luke Northmore not far so behind good. him. As that piece of content illustrated, for those of you that didn't see it but just read the news, they announced the signing by um, panning the camera to Dommers in a meeting room, signing his contract with Lukey Northmore peeking in. And as soon as Dommers leaves the room, Northmore sneaks in and, and adds his name next to Dommers as well. So, yeah. And the, the whole insight was that wherever Dommers goes, he follows backing up the days of Cardiff Met joining Quinns in the first place and now re-signing together. So I love their little bromance. I love their story as a duo. Um, and obviously we've just played Cardiff this weekend, gone and, and got a hell of a result there with, with both of them playing important roles. Domers with a few key turnovers. Lukey Northmore with the try, assisted by Domers. Pick up from Smith to Dombrant on the shoulder, wide to Northmore. It's a run-in. Talk to me about Luke Northmore because I know you're a, a huge fan of his, as am I, but you put some brilliant words on him. So, the thing I have about Northmore, right, at the start of the year and a little bit towards the end of last year, it's so difficult for him to get in our best side. And I think that is still the case, obviously, with yeah. March playing a little bit more out on the wing and, you know, whatever that directive comes from Eddie. Maybe you might see March more as a winger. But, you know, to, in my head, the, the, the best sort of back line is, is fairly set in stone, isn't it? It's Danny, Marcus, Andre, March. Lewis, Caden, Tyrone. Yeah. Which is so difficult because I think Luke Northmore pretty much walks into any other club in the, in the Premiership. Obviously, there are, you know... Which was my directly. concern, actually, because I thought he and might the, go and do that. Exactly, right? This, and obviously, not, he's not going to walk in directly at 13 or whatever. That's obviously a, a silly statement, but... I think he probably could. <laughs> I think he probably well, could. But, well, could. yeah. But the, I was worried that other clubs were going to look at him and go, this guy is 
too good to be, and this is a horrible term, a, a quote-unquote backup, right? Yeah. He's, too, he's, he's too good for that. He could almost go on to any other club in the, in the Premiership and said, you're our man, you're our, you're our, you are our 13. And I know that there's going to be more rugby now being played. We're going further in Europe. I hope because we're going to be re-signing these guys, we're going to spend longer at the top of the, the table in terms of the Premiership over the next sort of however long their contracts are going to run for. He six would have been six days as well. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he'd have been well within his right to go, do you know what? Maybe I'm not in the best side. I'm going to go out and rightfully so seek a big deal. But I think with all that stuff that we end and say, you're absolutely right. In terms of the more rugby being played, Six Nations, Autumn Internationals, he's no longer just a squad player. He is such a big part of what we do. And I mm. absolutely I absolutely love him. He, he's a try scorer. God, he is, he's, isn't he? What is that, scored, 8 and 13 now? It's something like that, yeah. That's he, an he, unbelievable turnaround. He's got an incredible ability to find the try line in different ways as well. He can play at 12, he can play at 13. We saw him out in the wing for periods of time last year. I love him. I absolutely love Luke Northmore. When he I signed, I was I was genuinely ecstatic when he signed. I know that Domers was a bit more of like a, okay, that's that's massive for us, but it was something you, you almost expected. You almost expected, yeah. whether it was going to be this year or another year, you expect Domers to sign a long-term contract. You don't expect him to leave. Yeah. But when sure. I wouldn't have been entirely surprised had he gone. So the fact that he has put pen to paper on a th- whatever it is, two, three, four-year deal, it's so good. It's so big for us. Oh, for sure. Can I challenge this? Can I try and change the narrative a little bit? Because all of the talk of a squad player is perhaps a negative perception because you're not yeah. in that starting 15. And I think that's quite an old school way of, of viewing rugby and viewing sport. If you're not in the starting yeah. team, you're not as good as everybody else. You're not, um, you're not as a much of a key player and a really good interview from Lewis Liner on BT prior to the game was about how Quinns had almost revolutionized how rugby's played a little bit now he was talking about the style of play and I agree with that but I also think and maybe he didn't mean this is that the way we approach a season as a strategy and a long-term project and rotating players and managing minutes because I guarantee if you look at our team in the final versus Exeter's team in the final over the course of the season, I bet their starting team racked up plenty more minutes than what our starting team Yeah, I think that's did. probably a fair comment Because as well. we rotated well, because we managed minutes. And, all right, we're putting Luke Northmore in that squad player bracket, but he, I would happily start him at 13 every week and we could put him in that squad player bracket. They're all squad players. They've all got a role to play at different points in the season, in different scenarios when there's a Six Nations, an awesome international, an injury different opposition so looking at the real specifics so that effectively they're all squad players and by having a strategy as a squad like that it it probably improves the longevity of your career you're not putting your body through a car crash every single week you're doing it every other week which probably is is obviously still tough and really takes its toll on your body but and there's obviously so much great sports science that goes into recovery these days but the science behind us winning the league last year also came from the impacts with the gum shields, the lack of contact and training. And I just think no such thing as a squad player anymore. Everybody's got an equal role. And I think the players are starting to buy into that if they haven't already. Yeah. And maybe that's another factor in him resigning is that actually I can play for so many more years by yeah. playing this role in a winning team. I can have a nice life because I'm not crawling out of bed every morning in utter pain and misery and, and having to go to work and, and get myself beaten up yet again. 
they're really smart about it. And I think he's he's made a really good decision. It's great for the club. It's also brilliant for him. And it's another strong weapon in our Arsenal going into hopefully another playoff run and, and the challenge of going back to back. And off the back of this weekend, a potential European charge. Yeah, absolutely. The European stuff is really exciting, isn't it? Isn't it? How exciting, how first exciting is that? Qualify. How have we done we'll that? Talk, we'll, we'll, um, we'll move on to that in a bit. But I think I'm, I made the point when I went down to Gloucester um, and Luke was starting at 13 and Joe was on the wing. Mm. And I think, I actually can't remember. I think it was, was it Caden that didn't start that day? I actually can't remember. Was it Caden or either yeah, Caden, Caden or Lewis? Caden was injured because he played the following week against Exeter. Was his that was it, game. yeah. That was it. So obviously, you know, Caden didn't start. So you think, okay, that's, you know, it's a shame that one of our best and one of our most exciting players in the wing that Caden didn't start. But any chance that Luke Northmore gets to start a game, I'm, I'm over the moon by. And I think you're so right in terms of the way that maybe some of the players in our squad now are approaching this mentality of this is a full squad effort across the full season. Oh, 100%. And obviously the way that they train in terms of it's not 90 hours of contact a week. It's not, you know, smashing each other every week. It's thinking, right, there are so many nuances to the way that this squad is going to go forward. And I'm going to get my chance so much more regularly than you would have done with a sort of maybe old, more old school style of school of thinking. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Luke's great. We've, we sing his praises so often. I absolutely love him. I love the way he plays. I love what he brings to us. I love the, the different, the different dynamic he gives to our back line at times. And if he's going to play more at 12, that gives us a different look. If he's going to play at 13. He's, he's brilliant. If he's ever going to slot out on the wing, he's still fantastic. He's a try scorer. Yeah. Brilliant signing, brilliant news. Couldn't be more happy for him. And obviously, Great first that we get to keep watching him as well. A couple of bits of, of negative transfer news. Um, the main one being the departure of Hugh Tizard, our promising 21-year-old lock who's been awesome for us this year, not only leaving us at a time where it would have been crucial to re-sign him and, and keep him on with us as part of our long-term project, but going around the M25 to our, our arch rivals is a particularly tough pill to swallow a good bit of chat i saw on twitter actually from his good mates jack musk and george hammond just ribbing him a little bit about the cash and, <laughs> and whatever but look these things happen in sport yeah. it's a business it's a career for all the lads as much as our careers outside of sport are a careers to us so if you get yeah. a better offer if you get a better paycheck i'm not saying it's all about the money he's been publicly saying that it's it's about the growth for his own career as well which is great if that's the right decision for him who am i to stop him it hurts a little bit it's like me going from adidas to nike <laughs> if you know what right so you you've I, would, taken... I probably shouldn't say this but if they if they gave me a better offer i'd 100 take it man and this is this is what i find really weird about the way some people think about this sort of whole situation right ellis gent made a point a while ago on um, whether it was good, bad rugby at the time or house rugby, whether it was at the time, about the loyalty that people have in sport mm. and the loyalty that people have to their own career and their long-term well-being and the long-term well-being of their families and you know all that kind of stuff. And of course, it is, it is gutting to see Tiz go. I think the club will have done what they could to try and keep him. Yeah, but in, yeah, in, in terms of the fin- in terms of the financial stuff, maybe Sarri's just offered him more than what we could physically say that it, we just can't do it. That well, that bit that being that being said, I think he I think Gens made the point on on the on that podcast was that if I were to Asda for twenty five grand a year and Tesco had offered me seventy grand a year, come on, yeah. like do you know what I mean? Like it's, we it's, we all only get one shot at this, right? And if exactly. you could get offered a lot more money to do the exact same job, 
you'd be silly not to take it. So, but, all, it's, but it's also for shame, him, right? Of course, it's a shame. But also for him, right? He's gonna if they're gonna give him a decent a decent upgrade on what he's probably on now. And I, I don't like talking about the money because it's such a, a private thing. It's such a thing that goes on within the clubs. Yeah. As fans, we're only really speculating things. We don't know the real sort of intricate details of it. But if they're going to give him a real big boost on what he's currently on, and if he's going to have the chance to play with the best second row in the country as, as Marrow, you know, and in that, like a bit like we say with Luke, if he's going to be a massive part of what they do in, in those autumn national periods when they're losing a lot of internationals to, to England and wherever else they're going, he's going to be an absolute cornerstone for them. Mm. And I think, you know, we spoke about second row is a massively important to what we've done in that sort of set piece dominance to oh, allow absolutely. us to do what we do. Yeah. And I'm sure it's, it's going to be the same with other clubs because people are going to try and follow, follow moulds in, in certain respects. And, you know, we've had some really, really good chats with Tiz this year after the games in the bar. You know, as he as the players do a little lap, he's always really good at saying hello. I know his family are closely connected with the club, but we've got to be careful about how we put negative connotations around it because these are people's lives. Oh, and absolutely. You've nailed it. Again, I'm gutted to see him go. We wish him absolutely every single success. I hope he goes on to have a brilliant career at Saracens. I hope he gets international honours. I hope he gets absolutely everything he deserves because he's such a good lad and he's such a a good player and has come on leaps and bounds for us. I just hope that every time we end up at Stonex that they come down the stoop, he has an absolute stinker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope, he wins I, abs- that's fair. I hope he wins absolutely nothing at Saracens because he'll be facing twins <laughs> in the final. So I hope he gets to the final every year and he's beaten by <laughs> us. I hope they get to the final of Europe and some French team beat him and I hope he goes well with England, but I hope he goes as close as he can without beating us. He'll have a, a whole cabinet full of runners-up medals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just wrapping up on that point, I, I'd like to think the club did absolutely everything they can to yeah. keep this kind of player because he's, he's the mould of what we want to develop into, isn't he? So I just think if you look at the, the setup of both clubs, Harlequins and Saracens, where the money is going and, and how we're dividing our salary cap to, to suit an entire squad, We've probably had to put our money into our, our superstar players, like the, the ones that are grabbing the headlines. Your, your Don Brants, your, your Marcus Smiths, your Tyrone Greens, whoever else that, that grabs a headline every week, they're the ones that are going to be getting the big money contracts. And, and sometimes you can't offer enough to a player like Hugh Tizard, who almost goes under the radar sometimes. Um, he reminds me of Matt Simmons in a way because he's, yeah. he's sort of the silent assassin, goes about his work, but does it sort of in a really humble way or in a way that is is unnoticed so i can understand why perhaps the money didn't head his way whereas saracens on the other hand they might have more to play with with vincent cock leaving and there might be a few others and there's talk of tim swinson retiring so their their money goes to different places and it's more of a need for them than it is for us so um i'd like to think the club did everything they could there and it's just the it's the state of play and the, the current setup of the league and that there was nothing else that we could do so we'll, we'll wrap up that point there on a on a yep. note that it's, it's something we're going to have to accept. We'll move on to something a lot more positive and a lot more exciting. Back in Europe this weekend, after a, a brilliant run in the Premiership, we've gone for our, our sixth win in a row now. Yeah. Um, away in Europe is never easy, regardless of the competition. Cardiff are a bit of an anomaly, given the results they've had so far and the teams they've been able to put out. So it was never going to be an easy contest. Um, you just have to look at Monsters result against Castra and how it took them a last minute try to win to see the value in our win over there as well 
um, and how tough that was because that looks more and more important with every team that goes there to play now and the results that they're getting. So that was crucial. It's never easy going away in Europe. Having said that, we were far, far from our best. Yeah. And um, if we were to break down this match, which is going to be a challenge for us, but I back <laughs> us to do it, mate. I back <laughs> us to do it. And I've, I've kind of done it in my head, which might help you as well. I remember an interview Nick Evans did last season, how we like to break the game down into 10-minute chunks. And it's about winning as many of those 10-minute chunks as possible. So the way I would break it up is, First 10 minutes, Quinns. The next 20-minute block probably yeah. belongs to Cardiff. The final 10 minutes of the first half belong to Quinns. We then go in, come back out. First first 10 minutes of the second half belong to Quinns. Then you've got another 20-minute block for Cardiff. And then the last 10 minutes go to Quinns. So it would probably work out as about a half each, which seems fair when you look at the scoreboard. But <laughs> yeah, then also, I think the reason we're so frustrated and we couldn't get any momentum is that they were able to put two 10-minute blocks together and actually get a 20-minute period of consistent yeah. fluidity, attacking prowess, um, ran in loads of tries in that middle period of the second half, didn't they? So I just think we got out of jail a little bit, and my word. We know how to win, don't we? Six in a row, qualified for the last 16 for the first time in however long has Harlequins been there with a home last 16 match, which is crucial yeah. when we talk about how hard away games are. So I, I was trying to break this down in my head last night when I was watching it. When we did the Exeter game last week, when we did the pod and we sort of spoke of the Exeter game, because the scoreboard was much tighter, it was I found it much easier to actually look at it and talk about it because there's not less to talk about, but you almost you can sort of remember the phases of the game because of how tight it was on the scoreboard and you remember little bits more about the sort of the scrum line out set piece, all that kind of stuff. But when we have games like this, I find it so difficult to actually like function a thought because it's so chaotic. You know, we scored early, another crossfield kick. Yeah. Um, How good are they? Yeah, it's, it, it almost seems to be one of our sort of go-to sort of phase plays now. You know, oh, we're so go, good. Go it's the a back real and, weapon for us. Yeah, and it, it really it, is. It, it was. It's just such a strange encounter because. You know, all through the first half, we had massive dominance at the set piece, culminating in that spell of pressure towards the end of the first half when they lose a man. We then do what we did. We we had that sort of same spell of pressure against Exeter, but we didn't take anything away from it. Yes, and I think I think I tweeted at the same at the time last night. I said, or sorry, on Friday night when we we're watching, I said, this is the sort of spell it during the game where we didn't capitalise against Exeter, we need to make sure we take points away because I think it's going to be a bit of a gunslinging match where actually points yeah. points will win prizes. You know, it's not going to be about territory and that kind of stuff. It's who can who can run the most. So we did well to take those points at the time. And then the second half, they just seem to have they just seem to have the right answers. And I know we were inaccurate. We dropped a few um things weren't quite clicking, but they just seem to have a different gear to go to for 20 minutes where they were almost untouchable. Some of the tries yeah. they ran in, they missed a try in the corner with a, a a sort of kick that was just in front with a brilliant finish. We obviously missed one at the other end that was a forward pass directly from, you know, from our own, our own try line. Um, you see, well, they scored two in two seconds. Well, two in... They, for, they forgot to put the clock back on. Did they? I miss that. Yeah. I can't remember what it was in the second half. They scored two, when they had that 
stage of scoring three tries yeah. in three minutes. It's because they scored two tries in two seconds. From one of the tries, the game restarted. The clock hadn't gone back on. It went back on two seconds before they crossed the line again. Oh, I didn't even see that. But I don't know. I don't know if that was just television clocks and Pitchy whether this, the ref yeah. actually had it under control. Because whatever happened in the end, we get a penalty in the in the red to kick three yeah. points and win the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so true. thank you for not turning that clock back on. <laughs> we'll take it. That was um. Enough your one, two tries in two not- seconds. The one that was difficult for me to sort of work out was um, was Danny's try or no no tries it should be because the, the little kick kicking behind gathered by Marchett it's almost like a three on one. Mm. I thought they were going to bring it back for forward pass they didn't but they gave it back because Danny was offside from Marcus's initial kick. If he'd have gone left and gone to Luke Northmore who would have run under six it wouldn't have mattered because Danny wouldn't have been involved in the play. Yeah, but that was that that was a strange sort of one where I was yeah. like. God, it's, this, it's one of those sort of real tight forward passes where it goes sort of just through the hands. and But then they brought it back for the Danny being offside from the kick, which I found quite... I, I didn't even spot it at the time. I didn't even think that was an issue. It was one of those days, wasn't it? It wasn't the case of we were making bad decisions. It was that we weren't making the best decision. Yeah. Um, I think it's really isn't necessarily it, a negative because we're still executing skills, albeit half an inch off. Um, yeah. we're still looking to play, still playing with our intent and DNA and attacking prowess, but there were better decisions to be made. And, and sometimes that happens. Um, and we still came out on the, the right side of the coin toss in the end, really. Um, yeah. In terms of the first half for me, I can, I can break it down into two really clear points. I think Cardiff's dominance at certain points really highlighted how we missed Jack Kenningham, I think, and Andre. I think those yeah. two players in defence are really underestimated for us. We talk about Andre and how great he is in attack and how Kenningham's so great over the ball and in the line-out, but obviously they're both defensive generals in, in both of their respective departments. Ken is sort of leading the pack and, and Andre may be the, the linchpin for our defensive line in the backs. We really missed them. They seemed to break through us fairly straightforwardly and, mm. and the first try they scored down on the flank seemed like quite a soft tackle for them to get over. Um, so I think those two missing is a factor in, in Cardiff's positive play and, and the, really the tries point. they were getting. The other thing I'll say is, and you referenced it earlier, is Marcus Smith's pinpoint crossfield kicks. Both yeah. of our tries in the first half came from them. Right yeah. at the start of the half across to Lewis Liner to kick off the game. And then at the end of the half across to, to Caden Murley into Tyrone Green and, and get it over from there. So... That weapon for us is something we've seen in previous weeks with, with Exeter, of course, um, which was attempted on four occasions. I don't think Smith missed the mark on any of them. <laughs> yeah. Didn't miss the mark again this week. I hope we see a few more times that that comes out across the rest of the season, particularly when they go down to a yellow card and there's more space. Um, mm. I think that's a real smart option for us in that time. People will tell you to keep the ball in your hands, but when Marcus Smith plays a kick like that it's effectively a pass because he just doesn't miss when, when you can drop drop it on a golf tee and it's right where you need it as well the um one of their the, one of their first or second try comment which one i hate criticizing players that i love so much because caden's been so incredible in defense all over all across the year but it was a little bit of a soft sort of soft effort wasn't it yeah which is tough but you know, he's been so great most of the year you sort of put that down as a as a bit of an, as a bit of an anomaly this is this might seem like a ridiculous thing to say 
And I think I had this feeling at points last year when we had games like this where we'd score four or five and they'd score three or four. And you almost you just you just sort of have a sense that we're we're gonna we're gonna come out on top. And I, don't I know felt like that. I felt like that's that. right. And I never felt is, dead and buried. No, and I maybe it's the fact I mean I think you made a good point, you know. We're six in the bounce now. That that means something in terms of how you how you get results. I know that we've had a couple of close ones um, with Exeter, and you know Gloucester wasn't you know a, a rampant victory, and then it, you know. But we're we're just sort of finding ways to win, and I know that it's habit. not going to happen. It's not it's not going to happen every week. But I, I didn't feel like we were we were ever out of reach. I think we were thirty one nineteen down at one point with about 15, 16 minutes to go, and I was like we. We'll, we'll score at one at one point, and then it's a try away where we, that we can do from anywhere. I mm. never felt like we'd lose the game. Also, I didn't expect it to be in those sort of circumstances. I know that you know Sam Riley comes onto the pitch having not played in a while, and sort of goes on one of those goes on like a little a little run off the back of a breakdown almost by himself and gets turned over. Priestland, I remember at one point a couple of years ago when he was at Bath, had a record of twenty. 5, 26, 27 yeah. kicks in a row. Yeah, so, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember So that. I thought the moment it, the moment that was a penalty, I thought, right, the clock's nearly in the red. Surely Preston's going to go for it. We're tied up. But they were obviously looking at trying to get the win with another try to boost whatever chance they had in Europe. You, you know, you respect the endeavour. We probably do something similar. And then we Hugh Jones kicks the ball away. And I'm thinking, why are we kicking it away? Like, keep it in mm. hand. Force a penalty. They then run it back and we get a turnover 35 metres out and we get a penalty. And I think, yeah. what the, what's, going, what's yeah. going on? What is happening? Like, this is exhausting. So I'm I know, I know. Um, yeah. One thing I will say, our forward pack is immense and they have yeah, been so good. week out so for so long. Good. And we've, we've referenced it before, but uh, although we appeared to miss Kenners in moments, I think as a collective, they really are one of the strongest cohesive units in English rugby. I can't think of too many English teams yeah. that have got a better forward pack than us at the moment. And I can't remember the last time as a Harlequins fan, we've been able to say something like that. And when you look at the back line, we've got yeah. a, a fully gun back line. You, you called it out earlier. You can pick our back line easily. You just know who it is. And you look to the bench and you've got Northmore and Jones, two electric players and someone like a Will Edwards or a Tommy Allen on the bench or even left out of the squad. I just think when you've yeah. got a forward pack like that, my God, our backs look even better. Um, they often go under the radar because not too many superstars. Well, we've got a couple of superstars. We've got Joe Marler and Don Brandt. But there's a yeah. lot of players in there that are off the radar for a lot of teams. Good, honest, hardworking players. Hardworking graft. Jack Walker probably won't be known by too many outside of Bath and Quinns. You look at the likes of Simo in the second row. He's just a workhorse. I referenced it earlier talking about Tizard. He goes under the radar. I don't think he's even got social media. Yeah. He just turns up, does his job every week. He's, he's, he's a rock star for us. And then you look at the likes of Day outside of us in Exeter. Do many other clubs know about him? I know. He just goes about his work and he's got better and better. And we're going to rely on him so heavily during the Six Nations period with Domers away. I just yeah. think our forward pack is absolutely awesome. And I can't wait to to see it grow and develop because we've still got a long way to go in this season. We've got a lot of work to do at mall time, a lot of work to do at the line out, but our scrum set piece is like yeah. unstoppable force, a movable object. You just can't, you can't get a point on us. You can't get a penalty against us. And then the work in the loose is just everything. I this, expect is, from a so this, this is the thing that I'm most amazed by, right? 
and they actually referenced it on commentary yesterday. Did you remember seeing that video the club put out about some of the pre-season stuff they did when Tabai first got in? And they were in some gymnastics hall in Guildford doing yeah, like, yeah, yeah. throwing their bodies around and you know wide bases and all that kind of stuff. You can see that so, so clearly in some of the games we've had this year. Mm. Bax making turnovers, Andre making turnovers. But yesterday, Simon Kerrod, who comes on to pitch, has a you know, gets over the ball, locks on, has a huge turnover, which actually was in a really good bit of field position from it. And then at the end, was it Dino Lamb that got the match winning turnover? Yeah, yeah, Dino. He's 6'10 and built like a, <laughs> He's enormous. Built like a, What's he doing down there? Built like a tree, you know? <laughs> what, like, what is he doing down there? So you can like, I hadn't really thought about it much before. Okay, they're doing a bit of, you know, gymnastics work. That'd be good for a bit of this. But you can see that so clearly. And maybe that's some of the little little effects that Tabai's had since he's come in. Yeah. He's not he's not coming in and rewriting the script. He's coming in and adding little bits and pieces. Intricate details, isn't it? It's little things that, that paint a yeah. bigger picture, which is great. One man I want to talk about before we do a wrap-up of where that leaves us in Europe. Yeah. No prizes for guessing who. Marcus Smith, <laughs> the ultimate clutch barely, We barely mentioned him up until now. Which is <laughs> the strange. ultimate clutch player, mate. He's got more clutch than my Vauxhall Corsa or sat on the driveway. So. <laughs> and probably Alex Dombrandt's white thunder. He's going to upgrade that white now thunder. with his new contract. But my word, the ultimate clutch player. And once again, it rests with Marcus Smith to land that final blow. Just born for the big stage. Marcus Smith for the second week running. Snatches victory for Quinns. I'll always back him. I'll always back him. He's, his confidence is infectious. And just playing with him, I can see the confidence in his teammates around him. Even his interviews after the game, Dave Rogers put out a nice tweet, which I fully get behind about. When he thanks an interviewer, he always says their name. So he said thanks, Tim, after his interview yeah. yesterday. Little touches like that, but he's just... A really nice, likeable bloke who's got great confidence, was never going to miss that kick. He got the kick against Exeter last week. He got the kick against South Africa in the autumn series. He just doesn't miss. But you know, but, like, but not only that. You know like, what's weird about that, right? His um, he missed a kick from one of our tries early in the first half. He's not achieved that sort of metronome, you know. Every time he's at the tee, the ball's going over. I don't think he's quite achieved that yet. I think he operates in the sort of 70th percent. Look, that's ridiculous. It's still very, very good. You, yeah, you're not wrong, but he gets but the when, ones that count. But when it's clutch time, he doesn't miss. He, he gets does the ones miss. that count. Um, the other thing about him is not only was it his kick that won us the game, he managed to dance his way over for a try. Yeah. It was very, very similar to his try away against London Irish. Yeah, you've just taken the words out of my mouth there. Absolutely spot on. Probably from a similar position, just the other side of the sticks this time. Dances around three or four defenders and reaches out and gets it over the line. So if this guy wants to win a game of rugby, he will win a game of rugby and he will drag his teammates along with him if he has to. He's just in a very fortunate position where he's surrounded by boys that also want to go out and yeah. do everything it takes to win a game. So although his penalty to win the match was one of his more straightforward ones, it's still a crunch time kick and it's not the first time he's done it. He's different gravy for us. We can talk about how much depth we've got going into Six Nations time. We're going to miss him big time because of the attitude he, he has and the infectious energy he produces and, and rubs off on everybody else. So a word on him. Like, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it in a sentence, but my God, what a player. We've got someone special, haven't we? Mate, it just... It's, it's so delightful to watch. <laughs> and he's, he's ours. How many you know, man crushes can we have in one rugby team? <laughs> 
As no, I've got the team sheet in front of me now. Tyrone Green, reliable, <laughs> dependable. Lewis Liner, young, good-looking lad, be- beautiful man. Joe Marchant's <laughs> lovely. Luke Northall's great. Caden Murley's one of my favourite players. Marcus, Danny, Marla. The list goes on, you know. But yeah, Marcus is is a different gear, mate. And, yeah. you know, we can sit here and wax lyrical about him till the cows come home. We don't need to because almost everyone on planet Earth in the in the rugby sphere, you know, he's doing that for us. But exactly. yeah, he's world, he's world he's world class, and we're we're lucky to have him. One area that will be good to see him tested, and we will get that now, is is knockout Champions Cup rugby. Um, the last sixteen, we're very fortunate to have a home tie at the Stoop. Um, is that the but, way it works now? If we go through, if we beat Castro, are we are we home the whole time? So that leaves us top of the pool currently. What happens now is we've got one more game to play. And this segues us on quite nicely to Castro next week, I think, because I would still play as close to full whack as possible. I'd go England internationals because it'll be our last game that we have them for. But if we get a good win here, we're more likely to play a lower qualified team in the next round because it's done by rankings as far as I'm aware. So if we finish top of the group next week, as in top of pool B, which has 12 teams in it, We'll end up playing whoever finishes eighth in the opposite pool. Who are currently, pool yet. currently Montpellier. Okay, but we'll play them at home. And I think mm. what we've proved, how tough that result was this weekend, how tough that result was in Castro. The champions of England are scraping results away on the road. French teams don't travel too well. Um, any away game is incredibly tough in Europe. So to yeah. have that home tie, it will be a sellout at the stoop. Make no bones about it. Um, that's going to be a special, special yeah. night. And I think the other factor is if we get a really good result and we maybe get a bonus point win against Castro next week, it would mean that the following game, the quarterfinal, should we win it, would also be at the stoop. Yeah. And then we're starting to rack up a bit of a run and we're looking really, really good in Europe. I know. Well, I'm, <laughs> looking, I'm, starting I'm looking to get a little bit like... excited. So my, my dad actually <laughs> sent me a, a WhatsApp of hotels in Marseille on the 20 I think it's the 22nd of May and like he sent it to me and I was like why have you sent me this and then it clocked ah that's the final I think Uncle Nick might have got a fraction earlier on that <laughs> I, I, rate, I rate the enthusiasm I'm looking at Paul A now and you've got Glasgow in 6th Leicester in 7th Montpellier 8 and Claremont 9 there's still so, a lot of games to play oh I'd love to and obviously a lot of games to play yeah but that, I mean look, I think the home draw would be It'd be huge for us, wouldn't it? Like, oh, you massive. know, obviously everyone wants a big European away day, but in terms of the way that the travel's going at the minute and all this, other yeah, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to be gloss, a little... isn't it? It was such a shame not to be there this weekend, but you lose the gloss of uh, yeah. the away day at the moment. And and looking at how well we're doing, I'd just like to see us do well in that competition, see how far we can get. Exactly, six yeah. in a row. And I think seven next week as well. We want to keep that winning habit going. We're then away at Bath in the league, who are, we've definitely got their number. So. I'd like yeah. to think that we can go seven in a row, potentially eight in a row against Bath, and then we're back at the stoop for sale in the return leg who beat us at their place and looking yeah. to go nine from nine. So not getting ahead of ourselves, but let's give it a good go next week and keep that momentum going. Yeah. In terms of selection, I would like to see all the England boys play because it's the last time we'll have them. I yeah. would want to see a little bit of change. I'd like to see Tyrone Green get a rest, give Nick David a go. Haven't seen Nick David for ages. Huh. Tyrone Green is not going to get a break during the Six Nations. We're going to play him every single week. 
Yeah. He's not been on the top of his game in recent weeks. I just think let him uh, have a, a week off. A couple of quietish weeks in terms of him. Yeah, yeah, let him go away, click the reset button, come back in fresh for Bath back in the league, give Nick David a bit of a go, rotate the minutes. We'll still have enough, hopefully, with a, a full whack England team in our in our Quinn's ranks. And then you look at Castro, who've got nothing to play for. They, yeah. might, they might throw out a second team. So I just think let's go there, do yeah. a job, do a job at the stoop this week. I th- I think I agree, right? Because there's going to be a change somewhere, you know, with rest and whatever. But I would like us to go as full strength as we possibly can because I think the the draw of playing the rest of this competition predominantly at home is so important. Yeah. And they're not going to play the week. The boys aren't going to play the week after at Bath. I think it'll, it'll be their last week for us before, you know, yeah, they six, won't nation, six, eight, six Nations time. So I would love them to go as obviously they'll be like I say they'll be a rest for somebody somebody might get somebody might have picked up and not fine but I would love to see us go as full whack as we possibly can because like I say I think that draw of home games in the European Cup will give us the best chance of going as deep as we possibly can in it which is going to be huge for the club yeah massive be enormous yeah. God I love that music imagine <laughs> being in the stoop and the Champions Cup music starts playing as the players come yeah. out. I might need a moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, we'll leave that there. We'll leave that there and we'll talk yep. about Harlequins women versus X to women. So we're recording this on Saturday. The game's taking place tomorrow. Away at Exeter in the sunshine on a Sunday afternoon. It's back on terrestrial TV. Yeah. It's on BBC Sport, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to be watching it. It's another playoff clash. We talked about how big game 13 was a huge playoff clash with Wasps and Quinns going at it. It's now third v fourth. Exeter sit third in the table. We sit fourth. We're both on 34 points. So it mm. couldn't be any closer. Winner takes all this weekend. I just think it's so good how it's being shown on BBC. They've obviously yeah, identified that this yeah. is going to be a high quality game with a lot lying on it. Women's sport is not struggling. It's thriving, um, which is why it's going on TV. It's not going on TV because it needs eyeballs on it. It's going on TV because it's a really good product. Mm. And I'd like to talk it up a little bit more. I think it needs to be put in front of an audience who perhaps haven't engaged with it yet. And that's why it's going on TV. We're not dragging it into the future. We're bringing you its presence. So it's, it's here already. BBC are doing a good thing by getting it on TV. I hope it gets loads of viewers. I know BT Sports, big game, 13 numbers were record numbers. Yeah. I hope we do a job on them because we've got good momentum yeah. and it's been stunted really by COVID and not been able to play Worcester at the start of the year. So... You were at the game earlier in the season in September where Exeter came to town. Yeah. They beat our women's side at the stoop 24-12 off the top of my head. And you were there and you said they were good value for their win. And I've looked at the team sheet and I they don't just... know anybody in that Exeter side apart from Chloe Rolly, who's on the bench, who used to play for Quinns last season. <laughs> and I just think they're one of those sides that are, are going to be tough to break down. It's a proper... To- proper Exeter side that are going to be a tight-knit group and you said they kind of squeezed the life out of us last time do you see a similar kind of game plan from them it's going to be sunny we've got our full strength team back bar one or two with Shauna Brown um, and I think Emily Robinson as well so give me your thoughts on that one and given that we're predicting the future here and this will come out after the game give me a nice bold punchy prediction as well and well, whoever gets closest can get some kind of prize. Uh, I remember this extra game for a couple of reasons. One, because I think it was 
I remember them being really, really, really well set up. They were they were tough to beat on the day. Really, really tough to beat. And then they ended up scoring a couple of you know 70, 80 meter tries after long spells of defending. We weren't as strong as we were that day. Um, you know, with the likes of Jess back, Rachel Burford back in the side, um, Jade Conkle in there as well. I don't remember Vicky Cormer playing that day. Obviously, we're missing Shauna. But yeah, look, I'm just looking at the team sheet. It's so strong. It's like the strength and depth, the strength and depth is ridiculous. And we're on a bit of a run as well, aren't we? After a big success at a big game and having beaten the Saracens the week before, we're we're really good place. So I'm hoping we go down there and, you know, turn them over on their home patch. I also remember that day at Exeter down at the soup for slightly more ill-fated, fate, ill-fated reasons. So that was the day I took that date to the stoop and it didn't really pan out brilliantly sort of long term so um i, I thought i'd try them i'd sort of forgotten that a little bit but yeah then no, we, we move on um but no i'm looking forward to talk it. about it not really no um and i'm gonna i'm gonna be at home tomorrow watching it um i'm gonna have my feet up on a sunday afternoon um cheering the girls on so yeah looking forward to that one a lot and i'm gonna go are we going like just hit closer to the pin yeah closer to the pin the other thing is whilst we're both sitting third and fourth on 34 points bristol bears have got a game in hand on us and they're only two points ahead. So this this win could push us up to second and we're looking at home semi-final territory. So there is a lot lying on the line here um, and Saracens are only two points ahead of them. So um, they're on the same amount of games as us, but we've obviously done a job on them not too long ago. It's so tight in this league. Every point counts. And we mentioned it against Exeter for the men's side the other week. It's almost like a relegation scrap in the Premier League where your three points become six pointers. Yeah. We're in that position again. God, rugby's so competitive at the moment, isn't it? English rugby is absolutely I know. I'm going to go 38-12. Big win. We're going to bash them. Big win. I I think the weather's important. I've looked at it and it looks it looks fairly nice. We're going to bash them. A bit of sunshine, about 12 degrees. Um, I don't know if it's at Sandy Park because that pitch is normally horrendous at this time of year, which could have a, a role to play. But I'll go, I think we'll get four. I do think we'll get four. I think we'll miss a couple of kicks, but get a few penalties. So I'll go, I'll go 26-17 to okay. Quinn's. Nice. Nice. So they what won't get those points. Are you coming to Castro on Friday night? Yeah. So we'll do loser buys, loser buys or dinner, fancy dinner. Lose the lose the lose the buys another pint and a barbecue port roll. Ah, oh, yeah, no, you've sold me with the barbecue port roll. <laughs> sold me. Nice. So what there I'm okay. I'll make a note of that. I was twenty six, seventeen. What were you? Thirty eight, twelve. Okay, thirty eight, twelve. Nice. We'll leave it there on that delicious barbecue pulled port roll note. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you've been listening to Two Words Four Quarters a Harlequins podcast every episode up until March we'll probably do a little shameless plug so you'll have to bear with us now yeah <laughs> myself and Mike we started this podcast almost a year ago to the date I think it's our it's our anniversary in a couple weeks these are a happy one year it's this mate. week it's this week it's Castro 21st 22nd it's our anniversary so we'll do our anniversary special next week but where I was going with that point is that we've been nominated for the best team podcast award at the Sports Podcast Awards which is a huge sort of humbling for us really given that we're up against the Man United podcast and all these American football podcasts go and give us a vote we'd really appreciate it and we hope to have you back again next week 
You can find out all the information on our social channels on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Harlequin's Pod. We'd really appreciate it. And let's go make us triple champs, as we're going to say, for the foreseeable until we hit March time. Thanks for listening, Mike. Just your time, mate. I'll, I'll catch up with you in the week, mate. See you on Friday night. Cheers, boy. Come on, the quiz. Go, you quiz. <laughs>